We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at evolution through the science of human behavior. There's no avoiding it. Evolution creates disruption, or maybe it's the other way around. But the fact remains, there's a lot of social upheaval and turmoil going on right now. When things are disrupted, it's a challenging time, but also an alchemical one. There's never a better time than when all the components of a system are thrown up in the air to restructure it into a more user-friendly form. Yet these times and situations are unprecedented. We often can't rely on what's worked in the past. Where do we find guidance to help us restructure the very foundation of our society? Our guest this hour has some interesting thoughts on the topic. With us to discuss evolution and the science of human behavior is Dr. Anthony Biglin. Anthony is an award-winning leader of worldwide efforts to evolve a more nurturing society. His work on the book, The Nature Effect, How the Science of Human Behavior Can Improve Our Lives and Our World, earned him the award for scientific translation from the Society of the Achievement Advancement of Behavioral Analysis in recognition of his contribution to public understanding of the power of behavioral science. His website, TonyBiglin.com. Anthony, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Happy to be here. What's your educational background? Well, I got my PhD in social and organizational psychology from the University of Illinois. Uh, but within about a year, I decided that I wanted to get training as a clinical psychologist. So I did that, did an internship on in clinical psychology and um, essentially became a clinical psychologist. But then in the 1980s, I started doing prevention research and uh, first of all, focused on uh, cigarette smoking and preventing young people from smoking. And that got me into a public health uh, orientation where the interest is not simply in helping individuals, but actually changing the prevalence of a problem in the entire population. And one thing led to another, and I've gotten into the way in which corporations have evolved, the way in which corporations have evolved harmful practices, 
and I'm currently writing a book on evolving a more nurturing form of capitalism, which was actually just what I was working on when we uh, broke to have this interview. Yeah. Well, if there's anything needed, that would be it, right? I think so. I think that uh, we've learned an enormous amount about human behavior in the last 50 years, and an evolutionary perspective is relevant to everything we've learned because basically uh, human behavior is itself an evolving process. Um, but we've got to figure out how to uh, find a form of capitalism that ensures the well-being of people and that minimizes harmful practices. It, somewhere along the line, we kind of took a left turn, didn't we, as far as making money the almighty and the person is expendable? Yes, I think it really uh, is the result of advocacy for the view that if each person simply pursues their own economic well-being, it will necessarily benefit everyone. That's been a fundamental assumption of free market economics. And I think over the last 50 years, it's become particularly uh, promoted in society. Uh, there's a good deal of history on that, uh, such that people felt like if they were making a lot of money, they must be doing something good. And so get out of my way. Uh, government's bad, regulation's bad, and so on. The first six yeah. chapters of my new book uh, walk through six industries that have evolved practices that are harmful to people and that haven't been adequately regulated. Fortunately, there seems to be quite a few people out there advocating a real shift in the way um, business is approached. Are you familiar with any of those? Yes. Uh, there are two in particular in the business world. One is the conscious capitalism movement, uh, and the other is the B Corp movement. And both of those uh, are taking the position that uh, corporations, companies, businesses uh, should really think about themselves as having four constituency. Uh, certainly their customers and their investors, but also their employees. And lastly, the society as a whole. And I think that to the extent that we can get those values uh, adopted widely, uh, we will start to rein in the excesses of industries such as uh, the tobacco industry that leads to the deaths of 450,000 people a year in the United States alone, uh, or the financial industry that's uh, not regulated the way it was uh, for most of the last 50 years. All right. You know, it seems like we can go on the scale from uh, over-regulating to under-regulating and back again, but um, I, I, I'm with you. I think we need to, to rein this thing in a little bit so it serves everyone. I agree. Yeah. So what exactly is human behavioral science? Well, uh, you know, I mean, science has been working on a lot of problems for the last uh, 300 years or so and made an enormous amount of progress on physical sciences, but it's really only in the last century and in particularly the last 50 years that we've applied scientific principles to understanding human behavior. And I would argue that we've learned more in the last 50 years about human behavior than we understood in the last 10,000 years. Uh, uh, where to start? Uh, maybe start with the development of children and the conditions that uh, ensure their successful development or uh, lead to the development of problems. Uh, we pretty much nailed it in terms of the environments that help children develop or that uh, lead them to develop all kinds of problems. How, how old is the behavioral science, human behavior? Well, uh, it, it really, it, it began at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, uh, the, some of the highlights uh, were the development of behaviorism, uh, but there's uh, there's many different uh, strains of it, and I think it's only in the last uh, 20 or so years that all those different strains have come together to have a sort of unified understanding of how uh, children develop, how human behavior evolves, and, and what people need to thrive. Does it vary greatly from society to society? Um, well, you know, in, in my experience in the most of my career, up until maybe the last 20 years, uh, 
it would seem to be only in the United States there would there, there was much behavioral science going on, but now it's worldwide. Uh, there are competent behavioral scientists in virtually every developed country and a lot of less developed countries. Uh, can can we predict human behavior through the science? Oh, to a great extent, we can. Yes. Um, what would you like me to, <laughs> to talk what, what, about? <laughs> well, let's avoid the doom and gloom, right? <laughs> well, actually, you know, since most science is, is focused on trying to solve problems, uh, that's where you get the doom and gloom. Because, I mean, the first things that have been studied are how kids develop problems. Uh, and we know that if a child is in an environment uh, where they're uh, – not cared for, uh, where they're threatened, where they're in stress, uh, they're on a pathway to significant problems in their lives. Uh, so yeah, we can predict uh, the outcomes of poverty, uh, the outcomes of uh, criticism, of punishment, of neglect. Uh, and those are the things that we've gotten good at, at, at trying to reduce. Do you see us as having an opportunity to evolve as a society at this time? Well, of course, society is evolving, <laughs> whether we like it or not. Uh, and I, as, as an American, uh, I would say at the present time, in the last, uh, really the last 50 years, American society has evolved toward, uh, as you pointed out, uh, more f a focus on self-aggrandizement and wealth accumulation and so on. Um, and I, what I'm trying to do with the the new book I'm writing is to not only describe what happened over the last 50 years, but also to uh, show how that could be uh, significantly improved, how we could have a society that's uh, far more uh, nurturing of every individual. And we so can... Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No? We're working, you're working on the, the basis of figure out where, what got us where we were so we can figure out how to get where we want to go? Precisely. That's exactly what I'm doing. Mm, nice, nice. Um, what are the challenges we face um, in the continuing human evolution? Well, you know, we're certainly faced with some formidable problems, climate change being first and foremost. Uh, I'm in Oregon, just north of California, where uh, the, the fires in the last week are devastating. I was just shocked mm -hmm. that there was a a, a huge fire in November, that's never happened before. So, you know, we have huge uh, challenges. But I think that uh, we also have, uh, I, I, I think the number one thing we need to do is deal with what you brought up before. What are our values? Do we want a society in which most people have all of the conditions they need to thrive? Or well, we'll have to get on values on the other side of a short pause. Anthony and I will be back after this commercial break. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com.
Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is Mission Evolution Radio, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Remember, past episodes are available on our website, missionevolution.org. For leading-edge evolutionary information tools and classes, visit the website. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Dr. Anthony Biglin. His website, TonyBiglin.com. Tony, we were just starting to talk about values. Um, Would you mind continuing? Well, what I was saying is that I think that the that we have a choice. Uh, we can continue to pursue essentially self-aggrandizing values, where we say uh, each person pursuing their own economic well-being uh, will uh, be fine for everyone else, which is simply not the case. Or we can embrace values that have to do with ensuring the well-being of every person. Uh, and I think that. Really, if we're going to evolve a society that that speaks to those values, we're going to have to uh, understand how every sector of society can change. I think that if you think about the healthcare system or the financial system or business generally or the criminal justice system or education, in every one of those areas, we need to be asking, is this sector of society working for the well-being of every person? Or has it become corrupted by uh, the notion that uh, the value of each person is a matter of how much they make? Um, and I think that we can, and in every one of these sectors, there are people who would embrace pro-social, communitarian values of the sort that I'm talking about. But we need a movement where they get together and they start to ask that question of every sector of society. Take criminal justice, for example. Uh, criminal justice system in the United States is badly broken. Uh, we used to have no more higher uh, in- incarceration rates than other countries, but since the 1970s, our, our incarceration rates have exploded. This has harmed families and undermined the well-being of all the children who were harmed when those families were harmed. Uh, and criminal justice system hasn't operated according to the principles of trying to ensure that people uh, who violate the law uh, are rehabilitated in ways that they no longer violate the law. And so we have high levels of recidivism. We have a privatization of the uh, the, uh, prison system. 
uh, which leads to companies that actually have a stake in having people in prison. Uh, so you can mm -hmm. you can see that there there are many ways in which we need to reform the criminal justice system so it's focused on reducing crime from happening in the first place and from rehabilitating people uh, who do commit crimes. We know the medical system is another prime example um, that it got so monetized in, in a way because it used to be, well, every doctor goes in, into medicine and every nurse wanting to serve, wanting to help. And boy, when I see the stress these people are underneath be because of the restrictions of the insurance companies that who are trying to watch out for their bottom line more than they are human beings, it's terrifying. The you know ER room nurses work 12-hour shifts. Um, the doctors are having to see so many patients; they're missing stuff. They kick you out of the hospital before you can even walk. Um, you know, it's it's just really changed in the last, I'd say, you know, 50 years. There you go again. Um, and we really need to turn it around. How can we how can we get what's needed in there to do that? Oh, you've pressed a button. <laughs> uh, I'm actually very much focused on the social determinants of health. So we spend about two and a half trillion dollars a year on health care in the United States. And that is about 17 percent of the gross domestic product of this country. We spend about $10,000 per person on health care. That's twice the level of the next highest economically developed country. And it's about three times the level of the average uh, other uh, developed countries. And we spend 95% of that money treating problems that could have been prevented. And mm -hmm. this is the thing that, that is, is, there are so few people who understand. I'm essentially a prevention scientist. In fact, I'm the former president of the Society for Prevention Research. And people do not understand how much we could prevent these problems. If you look at the causes of premature death, about 40% of premature deaths are attributable to unhealthful behaviors. Behaviors like cigarette smoking, drug abuse, uh, academic failure, antisocial behavior, depression. Uh, these are things that cause people to die at an early age. Well, what about our uh, diet? Look, at, there's, there's a reason the Food and oh, Drug yes. Administration is there, right? Well, yes, but they could do a much better job. You're absolutely right. Unhealthful uh, eating is a, is a huge one. In fact, that's one of the chapters in my book. Um, and but, so, you know, but you go to the grocery store and most of what's being peddled there is unhealthful. That's true. That's, and in fact, there are a number of uh, good books written on this. Uh, basically, we have a food industry that has evolved because it was profitable to engage in the practices that they've engaged in. And many of those practices have to do with, in a sense, inventing foods uh, that never existed before they were invented. Uh, the manipulation of uh, fat, sugar, and salt in our diet has produced uh, foods that are, you know, really tasty and hard to, you know, not eat. Uh, and then they're marketed to children. And we have an obesity epidemic in this country that's unprecedented. We have children who are developing adults onset diabetes as children. That never happened before. And it's directly due to the marketing of unhealthful foods to children. It's it's really reached epidemic proportions, hasn't it? It has indeed. Yeah. How how can you you um, how can what you've learned in uh, behavioral science start to intervene in this? Well, uh, one of the in a lot of ways, there are certainly things that could be done with individuals to help them change their lifestyles to change their physical activity, their eating habits, their substance use habits, and so on. But, uh, you know, I was an expert witness in U.S. versus Philip Morris et al. in 2005. And that was a lawsuit against the tobacco industry for marketing cigarettes as though they were healthy and marketing them to teens be, uh, by convincing teens that they'd be popular if they smoked particular brands of cigarettes. And that has resulted in the deaths of about 20 million people in the last uh, 40 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things we need to do is change marketing so that 
these harmful substances aren't being marketed to children. My expertise that I testified in U.S. versus Philip Morris uh, at all was specifically on that, the degree to which the tobacco industry has been very successful in convincing young people that if they smoked, they'd be popular and, and so on. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I still remember those, you know, the Marlboro Man and all that fun stuff. Um, but they're doing the same thing with food. Um, you know, it, we, it takes us back to the media and to marketing, to advertising that's being right. pretty darn irresponsible at this point. How can you intervene with that process? Well, it ain't going to be easy and it's going to take a while. But I think we need a movement in this country that starts with the, the question of do we want every person to be healthy and, and live a long and healthy life? And if you say that, and that's your, your North Star, then you're going to start to look at all of the practices that are harmful to people's well-being. And we're going to regulate industries in terms of their harm. Uh, and I, that, you know, that, that's, again, my uh, new book on uh, evolving well, kinda, or nurturing form of capitalism. Yeah, you're kind of going up against um, the big brother, though, aren't you? The one where all the money is to fight back. Yes. In addition to evolving uh, in, uh, manufacturing and marketing practices that have been profitable to the industry, they have developed lobbying practices and public relations practices that have sort of mesmerized Americans into thinking that government is bad, that regulation is bad, that it harms people, and so on. Uh, and they've also gotten good at uh, obscuring knowledge. Uh, the tobacco industry was the first to uh, use public relations to convince people that cigarette smoking wasn't a problem. But other industries have adopted the same practices. This is why science, why there are so many people in society who uh, don't believe that science is actually uh, something you can trust. That mistrust was developed by first the tobacco industry and then the health food, the unhealthful food industry, uh, the gun industry, uh, the fossil fuel industry. They all are using the same techniques of trying yeah, to get people to not trust scientists. But also science has been used to, you know, the latest studies show only be refuted by the next latest studies. And that's what was being used to uh, propagate the artificial fats and the artificial sugars and, the, you know, all this created I, food. Yeah. Well, in fact, uh, and the evidence that fat was associated with cardiovascular disease was a boom to the sugar industry because they used that to say, yes, you shouldn't have fat. And they obscured the fact that uh, sugar is, in fact, a risk factor uh, for how, cardiovascular disease. And how much is how much is um, uh, are the the tests, the very scientific tests, being purchased by the people that want something proved? Well, I'm not sure what you mean. Can you give me an example? Yeah, we're about out of time in this segment, but I'd like to pick up on the other side of how reliable are the scientific tests? Who's paying for them? Are they independent? That sort of thing, because we hang a lot on them. I'd really like to look at it after a short pause. That's Anthony and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. 
Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon. UFOs are real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest tools and information to support the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful evolutionary things we have to offer on our website, www.missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Our guest this hour is Anthony Biglin. His website, tonybiglin.com. Anthony, we were just about to start talking about science, and this is one thing I've noticed over the years that, you know, we we bow down to the latest studies, change our behavior around the latest studies, only to have them refuted by the next latest studies, and it all has kind of started to look like a marketing ploy. How can we tell who's paying for these studies and how how uh, neutral they are? Well, you put your finger on a, a really important issue. Let me talk about it in terms of the uh, uh, health care sector. Uh, over the last several years, it, became, it came out that uh, many of the drugs that were being marketed uh, by pharmaceutical companies were being marketed uh, by physicians who had engaged in some of the research that was done on those drugs. And what wasn't revealed is that they were making lots of money, not only for the research that they were doing on these drugs, but for then going uh, around to uh, con medical conferences and promoting the drugs that they had done research on without indicating that they had a stake in it. The law has changed to some extent on that, but there are still examples coming out of people who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, uh, shilling for the pharmaceutical industry and not revealing that they have a conflict of interest. So we've gotten better at having standards of about conflicts of interest so that uh, if I tell you uh, what my research shows, uh, you get to know, first of all, whether or not, you know, what stake I have in, in your believing me. And of course, every scientist wants to be believed and, and there's research, they're, you know, certainly uh, interested in convincing you. Uh, but the the key thing about science is if I do a study and I find, get some finding, uh, somebody else can see if they can replicate it. And if they can't replicate it, my credibility goes down. So science is self-correcting, but we have to deal with the conflicts of interest and, we, and, and, and come back to the values we were talking about. If it's really important that I make lots and lots of money, then I'm going to have more motivation to do the kinds of things I've just described. Uh, we need to get back to uh, a society where we're all working to do things that benefit other people. Um, maybe that's enough. I get off that soapbox. <laughs> so what about the observer effect? Um, um, would you speak to that a little bit? I'm not sure what you mean. Um, well, it's been proven by various studies, of course, for all the good studies are, that um, the expectation of the observer actually impacts the results of the testing. Um, have you looked into that at all? 
the well hmm, i'd have to think about that one uh certainly uh what we expect affects our behavior uh, and if i mean if you're thinking about placebo effects there are clearly placebo effects a placebo effect is if i'm trying to see if a drug works i may give you the drug or i may give you a pill that looks exactly the same but doesn't have uh, any active ingredient and in that way we can see if it's actually the active ingredient that makes a difference or just the fact that i gave you a pill and told you it would work yes human behavior is an interesting thing isn't it i mean <laughs> that we can actually change our health based on what we believe we're taking yes yeah pretty strange uh, on a little different topic you emphasize the importance of nurturing environments what do you mean by a nurturing environment well, I think there are four basic characteristics of environments that nurture people. One is that they minimize toxic biological and social conditions. Toxic social conditions like uh, anger, conflict, stress, criticism, uh, those kinds of things. The kinds of things that you see in families with uh, aggressive kids, the kinds of things that are more likely in poverty. Uh, but also toxic biological conditions like high levels of airborne lead or high levels of omega-6 in the diet. These are proven uh, harms uh, to, uh, especially to children. The second thing in nurturing environments is that they richly reinforce all kinds of pro-social behavior. And when I say reinforce, I'm not talking about M&Ms and stickers. I'm talking about listening, caring, uh, respecting, uh, joining people with uh, you know, interest, uh, warmth. Uh, these are the these are the things that really nurture people's development. And the third thing is that we need to limit opportunities and influences for problem behavior. Opportunities like kids home alone after school without adult supervision, uh, where kids can get into lots of problem behaviors, but also influences like the marketing of cigarettes, the marketing of guns, the marketing of unhealthful foods, the marketing of alcohol. Uh, if we can limit those influences, we'll limit the number of uh, young people who get started in doing these things. What about the nurturance of adults? That's good too. Um, I think one of the things we need to do is address the problems of economic inequality and poverty, especially in this country. We have about uh, we, we have one of the highest levels of family poverty of uh, any developed country. And we also have the highest levels of economic inequality of any developed country. And both of those are things that undermine the well-being of, of adults. Uh, let me talk about economic inequality, because that's one that you might not have heard as much about or thought about. We have a very high level of economic inequality, and it harms just about everybody in society. And this is the interesting thing about it. It's not just the poorest people in an unequal country that suffer. It turns out that people, uh, even up to fairly affluent people, have higher levels of stress and higher levels of, and actually live a shorter lives in, in unequal countries. And the reason is that there is greater social stress, there's strain, there's status differences. So I may be... Um, you know, fairly affluent, but there's always somebody who's more affluent and people have more stressful interactions in unequal countries. So that's... Don't, a, don't, we, also, don't we also see the alternative? I mean, the raise in homelessness and all this stuff, you know, but the, for the grace of God, there's goes I, if I don't stay on top of the pile. That's true. And, and those are stressors for people. Uh, interactions with people who are angry, upset, hurt, uh, feel disrespected. Uh, the divisions in, in the United States currently are at, you know, historic levels. And that's one of the things I address in the nur nurturing, uh, evolving more nurturing capitalism, is that we need to reduce that divisiveness. We need to increase respect, compassion, and caring for other people. Um, I've got a friend who's started a kindness effort here in Eugene, Oregon, uh, where we're trying to actually increase the degree to which people are being kind to other people. It's a simple thing, but it can reduce stress 
Uh, and stress is a major factor in cardiovascular disease. It, it shortens people's lives. But that competition is is huge in stress, isn't it? It is. Uh, and that's why uh, we and we've made a lot of progress in that. Uh, research on marital relations, for example, over the last 40 years or so has uh, helped us to find ways to help couples uh, replace uh, their use of coercive uh, interactions with much more caring, much more patient kinds of interactions. So we really can help people to uh, abandon uh, angry ways of dealing with each other and have much more uh, caring ways of dealing with each other. But doesn't that involve, you know, kind of like getting getting in the family, getting your nose in people's business? Where where does uh, help stop and and uh, overregulation begin? Ah, uh, you know, I've I've written a number of places about the value of family interventions and how they can reduce coercion and and prevent all kinds of problems. And people will say, nobody's going to tell me how to run my family. And if that's the way you feel, then God bless, then you, you shouldn't have this. I'm not talking about the state imposing anything on anyone, but I am talking about as a society are making available to families who would like to get help, the help that they need. The, you know, there are about 16, at least 16 family programs that have been studied in multiple randomized trials, which is the way we tell, uh, you know, how well things work. And they are all ones in which the people who provide those services are listening to the parents. They're listening to the family. They're caring for the family. They're helping the family solve problems that the family wants to solve. And so, you know, there's no, there's no coercion in, in these efforts. This is all, you know, caring and respectful. It seems like it's an awfully large problem, though, and we don't have a whole bunch of time to turn it around. Well, we do what we can do, but I'm actually, uh, I'm quite hopeful. I, uh, I'm on a National Academy of Medicine committee that's uh, writing a report on the progress we've made in promoting healthy development. And one of the things I did for that was look at the uh, degree to which effective family and school interventions have been widely implemented. And I can tell you that there are millions of people around the world who have already benefited from these programs. And our spread is growing. Well, that's wonderful to hear. We're going to have to pick up with that on the other side of a commercial break. Anthony and I will be back shortly, so don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Don't forget to listen to past episodes on our website, missionevolution.org. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, 
create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest developments in an evolving world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love suggestions from my listeners. You can email me at info at missionevolution.org to propose a topic or guess that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Dr. Anthony Biglin. His website, tonybiglin.com. Tony, you brought up something that I, I think is pretty important, and that's coercive behavior. What is that, and uh, how do we see it playing out? I think coercive behavior is the fundamental uh, problem of human relations. Uh, it goes like this. If uh, my wife does something I don't like, and I get angry, or I pout, uh, she may be a little less likely to do that thing again. And what we found in families that have kids with aggressive behavior and, and in marital discord as well, that people can easily learn to use aversive behavior to get the other person to back off, to be quiet, to stop doing something they don't want them to do. And in fact, uh, there's a psychologist here in Eugene, Oregon, Jerry Patterson, who was the first person to actually go into families and observe the moment-to-moment interactions between parents and their kids and what he discovered was that in families with kids who with aggressive behavior, that everybody was pretty good at using aversive behavior to get other people to stop doing things they didn't want them to do or to do something that they wanted. But they weren't very good at uh, sort of the, the more graceful, kind, caring, uh, fun ways of interacting. And that is – so that's coercion. Uh, did I make that clear? I think so. So like the antidote is um, love, kindness, respect. Yes. And in fact, every one of the family and school interventions that I'm aware of uh, works by helping families, teachers and, and parents in particular, to replace the use of coercive behavior with much more kind, caring and respectful behavior. Um, and, you know, we and we've made a lot of progress in helping people to be uh, more caring, compassionate, uh, patient. You know, it's there's. Um, I've had the good fortune to have some people on the show that are actually doing these programs in schools where instead of detention, they have a meditation room, and they're teaching breathing exercises and this sort of thing, and and you know, providing that support and inward turning and kindness, and it's, they're really being very successful. Have you heard of those? Yes, uh, I've been working a lot in schools lately, and uh, I've been helping uh, schools adopt a, a program called the PACS Good Behavior Game. And that's something that teaches kids uh, to develop pro-social cooperative behavior. And there's really quite a bit of research showing its value 
kids who have this program just in elementary school have been shown to have fewer problems as, as adults just because they had this program in elementary school. Basically involves kids working together in small groups and uh, earning some rewards if they uh, work together cooperatively. And the rewards are simple things like uh, I, in one classroom, I could show you a video where the class had just done their uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of working together cooperatively. And the prize was that they could laugh uproariously for 10 seconds. And you <laughs> should cute. see these kids laugh. Uh, and so uh, this, this PAX version of the good behavior game is just a delightful way to help kids become much more caring and patient and develop self-regulation. I could go on and on about it, but. Well, that's a place that we can start making a difference, isn't it? We can't move into every family. But if we start addressing, you know, some of the dysfunction that's showing up in children in the schools, that's kind of a, a foot in the door, isn't it? Well, certainly the schools are motivated to do that because many schools are finding that there are more and more kids coming to school who lack basic self-regulatory cooperative behaviors. And so my friend Dennis Embry in, at the Paxis Institute in, in Tucson has been helping schools to develop uh, and implement his version of the good behavior game. And it's been working uh, very well. He's in thousands of schools around the country. That's so good to hear. Uh, another little change of pace, but what is evolutionary theory? Well, the way I think about it is it's, it's a matter of variation and selection. Any process that changes as a function of certain variants being selected by their consequences is an evolutionary process. So for example, a child learning to talk uh, might say, ma, 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 and as soon as they start saying that, suddenly there's a mother who's paying great attention to that. And the way children learn to talk is that they're, uh, they get positive consequences from parents who pay attention to what they say. It's just one example, uh, but you know, the evolution of marketing practices of the cigarette companies is also an evolutionary process. Uh, they couldn't get women to smoke. Uh, they tried a bunch of things. They didn't work in the 1920s. Smoking was a, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a feminine thing. And then they started the Lucky Strike commercials that said, reach for a Lucky instead of a sweet. If you smoke a cigarette, you won't eat and you won't gain weight. And I could show you the ads, uh, you know, that are frightening women that they're going to become obese if they don't smoke cigarettes. Mm. But that variant was selected because suddenly they were making a profit on it. So variation and selection are the foundational concepts in evolution. Do you find evolutionary theory helpful in your work? Well, my whole book on evolving a more nurturing form of capitalism is built on evolution. I talk about the evolution of harmful corporate practices, but then I talk about how we can evolve a society that uh, regulates capitalism effectively uh, and ensures the well-being of every person. So, yes, evolution's uh, fundamental to my thinking. Mm. And, you know, it seems like a lot of us are really, really ready for some pretty drastic changes because where things are going right now, you know, you can look out there, like you say, and you can predict where it's going and it's not going in a good, good way. Do you see that there is much more receptivity to this way of thinking than there has been in past times? I think there is. And, you know, I have an, a second website uh, called values to action.com and I'm just getting started on it, but I'm inviting people to come to that website and they can get, uh, information about the way in which we can change things. I think that a, a, a virtually unprecedented movement is needed in society. Where, and, and, and one of the chapters in my new book is how you can, and in fact, you can, if you go to Values to Action, you can get a PDF that gives advice on how to deal with the stresses involved in the troubling status of uh, current U.S. Uh, life. Uh, and how you can take action to begin to move toward the changes that we need. I so think what, we need every person to, to get involved. What difference can behavioral science make in our current condition? Well, we can teach people uh, principles of psychological flexibility, which involves being clear about your values and taking steps to move in the direction of your values, even when your mind is telling you that uh, it can't possibly work and that uh, 
you, you don't have the skills that you need or you're afraid or anxious. Thousands and thousands of people have begun to understand how they can become psychologically flexible in living a pragmatic life to pursue their values, not because they got rid of anxiety or because they got rid of depression, but because they were willing to have the thoughts and feelings that they had and move toward their values. That's something that's been really important and is, is I think, foundational for the changes we need in society. But, you know, how many of us really know what our values are? I mean, we're all so busy trying to pursue the almighty dollar. Many people don't even know what their values are. Well, take a piece of paper and a pencil and think about what are the most important things to you. And you're right. We don't often think about those things. But I trust people to come up with positive values. I've asked people all over the world to tell me what they want to have in their lives and they come up with the same kinds of things. They come up with kindness, caring, compassion, innovation, uh, you know, fun. Uh, I, I, I trust people. They want good things. We just need to help them come together around the pursuit of those things. And you're right. Uh, we, we need to convince people that the answer is not to get more goods, to get more money. Uh, and in fact, there's research on that that shows that people who have materialistic values are actually less happy than people who are pursuing communitarian values, like caring for other people uh, and growing as a person. What's your vision for the future? I, here's what I have in mind. I, I want to recruit people to this Values to Action website, read my book, and I want them to, to join me in reforming every sector of society in the way I was talking about earlier in this program. I think that we can have a cadre of people, a growing number of people who say, no, the first thing I want to know about this sector of society or this part of the world that I live in is, are we focused on ensuring that every person has the things that they need to, to, to live a productive life in caring relationships with other people? Let that be our clarion call. We can do this. You know, I like to say, uh, so what percent of the one of the of the population is the one percent it's not a trick question they're only one percent well it's hard it's hard it's it's hard to believe anthony but we are out of time thank you so much for coming on the show i'm delighted to have been on it thank you for asking Mm -hmm. our guest this hour has been dr anthony biglin author of the nurture effect how the science of human behavior can improve our lives and our world his website is tonybiglin.com Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. While you're there, join in the discussion on our blog. This has been Mission Evolution, radio show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues to bring information, resources, and support to an evolving world. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. 
SimulTV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.